Hi, I'm Marie. And I'm Emily. And we're registered dietitians who love to look at the research when it comes to all things diets and supplements. With years of working with professional and collegiate athletes, we've seen it all, and we're here to set the record straight. On this podcast, we break down popular diets and supplements to let you know what's legit and what's BS. BS podcast and today if you've been paying attention which I have not Marie has though <laughs> this is our 99th episode it's crazy to me we started recording this during the pandemic it was 2020 and then our first episode went live in 2021 and here we are 99 episodes later so you know, while we love all of our episodes, and our episode today is about the autoimmune protocol, which is a listener submission, but I wanted to mention that, you know, our 100th episode is coming up. It's going to be out on November 20th, that week of Thanksgiving. So if you're traveling, it'll be a great time to listen to our 100th episode. But um, yeah, we have something very special planned for that episode, and we have a big announcement that is coming out on episode 100, so stay tuned for that. But today, our 99th episode, is all about the autoimmune protocol, which is something that two listeners reached out to us about. We also have a fun BSPS today that is something Marie and I know very well. So, so glad to have you all here listening. And before we get into our autoimmune protocol episode today... If you like listening to our podcast, a great way to support us would be through subscribing, leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify, and keep sending us those topic suggestions. They are always so helpful, and you can do that by DMing us on our Instagram, which is rds underscore vs underscore bs underscore pod, or you can reach us on our contact page on our website, rdsversusbs.com. We're going to start this episode off like we start many of our episodes with a shit at the grocery store, which Marie has this week. So Marie, what do you have for us? All right. So last week I was traveling. You might've noticed on our Instagram, I was in a hotel or you may have noticed the audio was not that great last week (laughs) (laughs) whenever I uh, record out of a hotel. But, um, so flying back, you know, they give you the little Belvita packets and I just noticed some funny marketing on the Belvita packets, which I don't think there's a single person that looks at a packet of Belvita cookies and is like, Oh, those are healthy or sorry, not Belvita. Oh my God. Snackwells? No, 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 no. The um biscotti. 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 Yeah. Or no, no, no. Is it biscotti? Yeah, the biscoff. Biscoff. <laughs> we got there eventually. <laughs> oh yeah, poor Belvita's like, we have nothing to do with this. <laughs> right. Leave us alone. Yes, Biscoff. You know, the the delicious cookies that they give you on American Airlines. Yeah. So I was, you know, about to open the packaging and then I saw some marketing on the side. It says just a handful of natural ingredients. No artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives. Non-GMO, vegan friendly. So I was like, and then there's like a beautiful little like wheat leaf off to the side. I was like, 
why would they even worry about putting this? Like nobody looks at these cookies and it's like, mm, health, health cookies. Maybe they're trying to rebrand. I rolled my eyes at vegan friendly because as we've talked about, that basically means that they're not vegan uh-huh. <laughs> or they would have put the word vegan. I just, I got a kick out of the first thing. It said just a handful of natural ingredients. Now I'm not a person who gives two shits about how many ingredients are on a ingredient list. But I do, it's funny to me that they put that and then I flipped over the ingredients and I don't think a single person that is worried about the number of ingredients would call this not that many ingredients. Let me know if you hear these ingredients and you go, hmm, just a speckling of healthfulness, wheat flour, sugar, vegetable oils, brown sugar syrup, sodium bicarbonate, soy flour, salt, cinnamon. So (laughs) would you read that nutrition facts label and be like, oh, just a handful of healthful, non-GMO, vegan friendly ingredients? (laughs) Yeah, probably not. It sounds like a dessert, which it is, which which is is fine. But don't try to be something you're not. Yeah. So I just thought that was really funny. And I ate it, everybody. I'm not telling you not to eat Biscoff cookies. They are delicious. But yeah, just some funny marketing out there for you. All right. I made mine short and sweet because Emily... We have to discuss how you're a rock star now. Oh, gosh. This isn't in the sh- in our notes today. <laughs> I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> I just, I need, to, I need this story, but I also need the listeners to hear this. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if anyone listening was a fan of the band's Something Corporate or Jack's Mannequin, like way back in the early 2000s, but Jack's Mannequin was my favorite band growing up. Andrew McMahon, who's the lead singer, they're on tour right now. And I follow him on Instagram. And he had this call out for anyone who wanted to come to a show and come up on stage and sing a song with him. All you had to do was record yourself singing one of his songs and make an Instagram reel and tag him. And I'm like, I'm not about to do that. But I want to go up on stage and sing with him so badly. So I made a separate Instagram apart from mine. (laughs) But they didn't tell me until it was a week ago. So we're recording on Wednesday, November 8th. They didn't tell me until Wednesday, November 1st at 6pm. And the concert was Thursday, November 2nd at 7 p.m. So I I didn't have tickets. I didn't have plans to go because I didn't really I was like, well, if I haven't heard from them, I probably didn't get it. But yeah, they let me know. And I'm like, dang, okay, this is happening. Not only that, but they said, please be here for sound check at 3 p.m. on Thursday. So this is Wednesday night. I have clients. I have a meeting. And I had a workout planned and I canceled it all. I'm like, they need me for sound check. So I can't I, meet with you today. I'm needed for sound check. No, literally. I I think some people were like, oh, okay. Like the people I had to cancel on, they're like, you could have just said like you wanted to cancel. You didn't have to make up this elaborate story. Yeah. But um, yeah, so drive up to San Francisco. It's like an hour from where I live. And there are like three people in the crowd. So I just kind of go stand by them. And it turns out it was Andrew McMahon's parents and his sister. And they were so sweet. And Andrew McMahon was so friendly and so nice. And this is the first show of their tour. 
he said he'd never brought someone up on stage before and sang with them. So he was kind of, you could tell like he was kind of nervous a little too. Like, is this going to go okay? <laughs> but it went really well, uh, except that when I got up on the stage at the actual concert, I kicked a stage light and it went out. <laughs> so it, it was a big one. It was like a spotlight <laughs> stage light. And into the mic, I look at the keyboard guy and I'm like, I think I just broke your light. <laughs> and Andrew McMahon goes, don't even worry about it. Last week, we had a something corporate reunion tour and a, one of our guys fell off the front of the stage. So like, it, it gets worse. It's fine. Like, don't worry about it. I'm like, oh, thank you for being so nice. But yeah, long drawn out story, but it was like a dream come true. It was so much fun. I think like once I saw it, because you guys, I had no idea that this was happening. I didn't tell, I didn't know till the day before. <laughs> all of a sudden I'm like seeing all these reels on Instagram or Instagram reels on both your stories and Seb's stories uh-huh. that are like you playing at the Fillmore, which is, I was like, if I've heard of a venue before, uh-huh. like this is not nothing. And like just rocking out on stage. I was like, what is going on? So I'm like texting Seb and Emily, like, um, excuse me, like what's going on here? (laughs) Like, is Emily going on tour? What is going on? (laughs) I wish, but even if I went on tour, I'd still do our podcast. Like I'm going to go on tour. No, it was so much fun though. Like really such a blast. I think that I knew that you sang, but I think that I forgot until I saw those videos. And then I was like, yeah, I feel like I vaguely remember her saying like, you like sang in church or something in the past. Yeah. In uh, like my high school choir, which essentially is church. It was an all girls Catholic school. (laughs) Um, And I was a part of like the acapella group and stuff. But yeah, Andrew McMahon's dad asked, He's like, oh, what? Are, what are you a singer or something? I'm like, no, I'm just a dietitian from Palo Alto. <laughs> and he goes, well, when's the last time you've been on stage? And I was like, uh, like 15 years ago in high school. And he's just like, okay, like, good luck. <laughs> it went well though. Like it, I, it was like an out of body experience. Yeah, thank, thank you for asking. Thank you for everyone for <laughs> listening to my drawn out story, but. <laughs> It was a blast. All right. Well, now we can talk about autoimmune disease. Diet. Oh, so fun. <laughs> let's let's do it. Yeah. So I hadn't heard of this, but it was a submission from two of our listeners. And one of them said this. They said, love the podcast. Maybe you could do an episode on the autoimmune protocol diet. I've just got diagnosed with Hashimoto's and the internet keeps saying to do this. It ta- it also talks about leaky gut, which I believe started with Andrew Wakefield, vaccines equal autism guy, but I can't find any real information about it. So I, yeah, I hadn't heard of this. Had you heard of this before, Marie? Um, I hadn't heard of the, like the diet or that there was like a diet specific to this, but I have definitely heard all kinds of stuff with autoimmune and like what causes it and inevitably what foods cause it or preservatives cause it or whatever cause it. So 
I do think it's a topic we need to get into. We've like peripherally touched on it. Like we did the Leaky God episode, which I feel like we talked about it a little bit in there, but just really diving into what research is actually out there with autoimmune disease and nutrition links and what is not. Yeah, it's super important. And there is a lot of overlap with leaky gut in what we talk about today. So check out that episode because we won't get too deeply into leaky gut because we spent a bunch of time talking about it before. But the first thing I wanted to talk about because it is related specifically to our listener who submitted this topic, just wanted to start by defining Hashimoto so people know, you know what this listener is kind of going through. So With Hashimoto's, your immune system basically attacks your thyroid gland by mistake. So your thyroid is in your neck. What ends up happening is that your thyroid can't make enough thyroid hormone. So really not a fun thing to have. And honestly, if I had it and I was just Googling what can I do to to help this, yeah, I would want to know if this autoimmune protocol diet would help because you'll kind of, you know, you'll take what you can get. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's Hashimoto's. And that's basically an autoimmune disease is any disease where the your own immune system attacks your own body cells. So they basically mistake your own body cells as foreign invaders and they will attack it. And obviously, because your own body cells are always going to be there, you're sort of constantly battling against this constant immune response. Uh, So these are considered systemic, typically, like it sort of affects your whole body, because maybe it's only affecting one organ. But typically, that impact of affecting that one organ has whole body effects. And also sort of there's this constant autoimmune response that's happening and our immune cells travel through the blood. So it's, you know, something that's traveling throughout your whole body. And this can range from a whole host of symptoms. If it's a body cell, it can be mistaken as a foreign invader and it can be attacked. So there are, um, I think when I was doing background research, over 80 recognized autoimmune diseases. Some of them are obviously more well known than others, but I mean, pretty much any cell in your body can be misinterpreted and attacked. So in particular, we see this word leaky gut a lot and what, you know, we talked about this in the leaky gut episode, but what can happen is a secondary effect of some other sort of disease. Your So this would happen, for example, like so celiac disease is a autoimmune disease. It's a little bit different because your body mistakes gluten, which is not necessarily a body cell, but it does mistake gluten as a harmful thing. And it will attack your epithelial cells or your mucosal lining in your gut if you eat gluten. Because of that damage to the gut, you can then create leaky gut where basically the cell walls and what's keeping everything in your gut inside your gut and that barrier becomes weaker so things can leak through. So as we discussed on the leaky gut episode, the leaky gut itself is not necessarily the disease, but it can be a side effect for some of these autoimmune diseases. Because if your immune tissue is attacking, attacking, attacking gut lining, well, then that's going to break down that gut. We see sort of this idea of leaky gut associated with all of them, not just celiac disease. But again, it's as we discussed on our leaky gut episode, we don't even really have a good way to diagnose it officially. 
So we don't know if maybe somebody is just experiencing GI symptoms for an unrelated reason, and then they just think that it's leaky gut. Like, it's really unclear how often that's actually happening. But the only one that we can say for sure there's a likely chance that you're going to have intestinal damage is going to be celiac disease. So some other autoimmune disease examples that are more common, Hashimoto's, as we've discussed, lupus, that's sort of like a whole body attack, multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, not to be confused with osteoarthritis, but rheumatoid arthritis is an actual immune attack on your joint tissue, psoriasis, so skin tissue, celiac disease, again, uh, mistaking gluten for an invader and attacking the gut. Type 1 diabetes, that's an autoimmune response on your pancreas. And there's, like I said, there's many, many more, but those are sort of your more common ones. And we want to kind of start this by talking about, okay, you know, if you Google any of those diseases, you're going to see everybody's got an opinion about what you can and can't eat if you've been diagnosed with something like this. And I'm going to start by saying there are two on that list that have actual clinically backed, validated diets associated with them. And that's it. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on those two, but those are celiac disease and type one diabetes. So celiac disease, we know if you remove gluten totally from your diet, that autoimmune response is going to go away. And type one diabetes is going to be pairing insulin therapy with carbohydrate controlled diet. So beyond those two, like we're not really going to talk more about those. We're talking more today about the protocol that is specific to Hashimoto's that's out there and that we got asked about, but also just like claims that we see with any of these. Why we wanted to kind of bring this up is like, why is diet blamed? Why can you go to any corner of the internet and find like GMOs cause our autoimmune disease and preservatives and American agriculture and meat and veganism and like whatever name, whatever diet, whatever, it's going to be blamed by somebody for causing autoimmune disease. And the reason for this, as with so many of the other things that we talk about is because there is no known cause of autoimmune diseases. Mm. Like, and that's a problem. People want to find the cause and therefore a cure for what they're dealing with. And that's not inherently a bad thing, but it is a bad thing when you try to beat the validated research and you start to spread incorrect information and you start to talk about how you you have the cure and you have the answer when research isn't there yet. And it is incredibly frustrating to tell somebody or incredibly frustrating for the patient if you tell them, we don't have anything for you. There's nothing that we know for sure. I couldn't imagine dealing with something like a lupus or an MS Mm -hmm. You're right. I'd be trying to do everything I can. So like we want to validate that it is frustrating and we have some stuff that we're going to talk about today that are potentials. But like I'm going to tell you right now, unless you have celiac disease and we take out your gluten, like there's really no cures and it's frustrating. And I hope one day there will be one. And I hope one day we'll figure out what is causing these things. And even if it's food related, even if it's a preservative, if we find out for sure, We'll tell you, like, we're not Mm -hmm. gatekeeping this information. We don't care. We have no stake in, like, the food industry. Like, we will tell you. If it turns out red dye 40 is causing MS, like, we will tell you. And we will be the first to pick it in the White House to get that removed from stuff. But that's why there can be so much misinformation about this stuff on the internet. Because it's one of those very gray area things that don't have answers. And people don't do well with that. Yeah. And 
because of that, you know, people recognize this need to have answers, to have a diet to follow that could potentially help. So that's when things like this autoimmune protocol diet comes into play. Mm -hmm. Someone creates this and says, if you have any autoimmune disease, this diet will help you. I was kind of surprised. I didn't know it was a specific diet. And it seems to be somewhat new. Like a lot of the articles and things I found on it online were, you know, 2022, 2023. Yeah, so this is what we found about specifically the autoimmune protocol diet. They say it's similar to a paleo diet, but more strict. I think it's kind of funny that that's the first thing that they say, because my mind did not go to paleo at all. If anything, this is just an elimination diet. Yeah. And also, like, is the paleo diet not strict enough already? Right, my word. (laughs) Like, come on. Yeah, so the whole idea is you're supposed to cut out foods that may cause inflammation, reintroduce them gradually, one by one. And the real goal here, that outcome, that is that this diet aims to reduce inflammation, pain, and any other symptoms that are caused by autoimmune disease. So again, someone with an autoimmune disease reads this and they're like, yeah, I'll do whatever it takes if I can get rid of this constant pain that I'm in because of my disease. So does this autoimmune protocol actually work? Let's first get into what this actual diet is. So what sort of things we're cutting out. These are the foods you're supposed to cut out. All grains, so not just gluten, all grains, rice, oats, every, you know, barley, pasta, bread, all of it. No legumes, so lentils, beans, peas, peanuts, none of those. You also can't have any foods derived from legumes, so no tofu, no peanut butter, no tempeh, none of that. Nightshade vegetables, which we've briefly mentioned in our podcast. Nightshade vegetables are eggplants, peppers, potatoes, and tomatoes. You can't have eggs. You can't have any dairy. You can't have nuts or seeds. No alcohol, no coffee, no processed vegetable oil. So canola oil, palm kernel oil, cottonseed, soybean, sunflower oil. No refined or processed sugars. And no food additives or artificial sweeteners. So that doesn't leave a whole (laughs) lot left. Basically, what is left is vegetables. Besides nightshade vegetables, you can have fruit. But even fruit is supposed to be in moderation. Because another piece of this autoimmune protocol is it's supposed to be low glycemic index meaning foods that don't spike blood sugar. Why? I don't know, because they decided that needed to be in here. But um, so fruit in moderation. They say you can have sweet potatoes. So are sweet potatoes I'm not so, I'm, potatoes? <laughs> I don't right, because it said in the things that you're avoiding, nightshade vegetables, which includes potatoes. They did this with Whole30 too, because I remember like there was a thing that was like, now you can include potatoes and like the whole thing with paleo is like, do we com- include potatoes or not? And right. there's like a whole debate over that. But like, oh yeah, when people are like, oh, but sweet potatoes are fine. I'm like, 
they are the same. The they same have a different thing. vitamin A content, and that is the only difference. And like yeah. a minuscule difference in everybody. So basically, I think the argument is that your glycemic response from white potatoes is higher than sweet potatoes, but barely. And as we've talked about multiple times, you don't just eat one food at a time. So it really doesn't matter. I'm getting really caught up on this. I feel like this is a really small thing. <laughs> it's annoying, though, and it pops up all the time, this, like, health halo around sweet potatoes. Yeah. They're fine, but they're not, like, the best thing in the world for you, and then at, white potatoes are the worst thing in the world for you. They're not that different. Yeah. So, yeah, basically what you are allowed to eat is some vegetables, some fruit, sweet potatoes, apparently, meat, and then... You're supposed to have probiotic rich foods that aren't dairy. So kombucha, sauerkraut, pickles, things like that. Minimally processed vegetable oils, olive oil, coconut oil. And that's about it. So yeah, it's it's a very, very small list of things that you can eat during this time. Marie, do you want to talk about the reintroduction phase? This is the rules. Once a measurable improvement in symptoms and overall well-being occurs. Let's just start there. Super. Yeah. Define measurable. Yes. Awesome. Great. Very subjective. Uh, You can introduce or the reintroduction phase can begin. Basically, you can introduce one food at a time and you should introduce these for a five to seven day window and then Based off of how you reacted for those five to seven days, you can decide whether or not your body can tolerate that food. So if you feel like your symptoms come back when you've introduced a food, that means according to this diet that you can't tolerate it and that you need to take it out versus if you have no symptoms, that means that's a food that you can tolerate and you should be fine. And I take issue with that with autoimmune (laughs) diseases. There, by definition, Diseases that wax and wane. You're going to go through periods of high symptoms and periods of low symptoms. Mm-hmm. And likely it has nothing to do with your diet. I'm not quite sure why they assume. Well, I guess that is the whole issue of this is there is an assumption that a food is causing your disease slash your symptoms. Mm-hmm. Well, I think also part of this is the assumption that every single person with an autoimmune disease has leaky gut. Yes. And because of the leaky gut, you are making it worse because you are now allowing quote unquote toxins to leak through the gut. But we have yet to prove that going back to that episode, a leaky gut even exists. It does seem like there's a barrage of symptoms, but we we still don't have confirmation that it exists. And B, that anybody outside of somebody with intestinal damage, like a celiac disease, would be experiencing leaky gut syndrome. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, with this diet, yes, you are cutting out foods that could be potentially inflammatory for some people. You know, a lot of people do say after they are on this diet for a while, the elimination period, they do start feeling better. Maybe there is less inflammation, all of that. I'm not surprised because you're eating a lot of vegetables. You're eating a lot of protein. You're eating a lot of, you know, very healthy foods that could contribute to less inflammation. But does this have an effect on leaky gut? Like Marie was just saying, you know, there's no research showing that it is. And Surprisingly, I did find a couple studies specifically on the autoimmune protocol diet and 
IBD, so irritable bowel disease, and specifically with Hashimoto's. Unfortunately, both are very, very small studies. So the IBD and autoimmune protocol one is just 15 people. They did find that participants experienced significantly fewer IBD-related symptoms by the end of the study, but they also said there were no significant changes in markers of inflammation. So there's that. And then in the other study... Um, 16 women with Hashimoto's followed this diet for 10 weeks. And by the end of the study, they did say disease-related symptoms had decreased. And participants also said that they did have significant improvements in their quality of life. But another thing they said is there was no significant difference in the measure of thyroid function. So... That is a very small study, right? 16 people, 10 weeks. We need more research. But that alone is showing me that, okay, eating a very, you know, eating a lot of healthy fruit, food, fruits, vegetables, meat, like, yes, it's too restrictive, but eating all these healthy foods helps people feel better. But it's not, it, it made no difference on the actual issue, the autoimmune issue, which is the thyroid function. Mm-hmm. So how can you say that this is an autoimmune diet? Like it's it's great that they're feeling better and you know that's that's big but this isn't the Hashimoto's is not because of how they're eating and it's not really being fixed by how they're eating mm-hmm. either. Yeah. And you can't even say, "Oh, well they clearly had leaky gut because you know their symptoms improved." It's like, "Okay, well when you get really strict with your diet, with the exception of if there's a mental component wrapped up into this. But when you get strict with your diet and you're not eating anything, quote unquote, bad, ultra processed, whatever, most people are significantly cleaning up their diets. Uh And so, yeah, you're going to probably feel better. I mean, I guess we can just kind of blanket statements say that there are no nutrition therapies that are validated for any autoimmune disease with the exception of celiac disease and type 1 diabetes. And Mm. celiac disease, that is the only nutrition therapy that is meant to cure, not even cure the disease really though, because if you ever eat gluten again, you're going to have a reaction, but you're going to mitigate your symptoms because you're not putting the reactant into your body anymore. With type 1 diabetes, like the insulin, I mean, obviously you're going to be on insulin for the rest of your life and then having a carbohydrate controlled diet, that is less about your pancreas is never going to be fixed, if you will. But you will be able to manage your blood sugar in that way and not hopefully have long-term complications like diabetic neuropathy, where you start to lose some blood flow to like your extremities, stuff like that. So those two are validated nutrition managements of the disease, I would say. And outside of that, we don't have anything. And that's not to say throw your hands up in the air and just eat candy and McDonald's and crap all day long. We see trends of people that try to eat in a more Mediterranean style type of diet or cut back on processed food and try to eat primarily minimally processed or unprocessed foods. Yeah, they see symptom improvement, likely because just most people would see symptom improvement of sort of general aches and pains and inflammation when making switches like that. So that's sort of just like an overarching thing of what's out there with the research. Now, there's a couple things that we can talk through of 
supplementation for specific diseases, but massive asterisks in front of this. Research is not great. There's not a consensus. It's not something that's going to make too much of a difference. And it's more to do with if you're deficient in certain stuff with certain diseases, it's going to make it worse. And maybe you need a supplement. So starting specifically with Hashimoto's, there seems to be minor improvement in the disease or in symptoms when supplementing with vitamin D. And that's irregardless of the person's vitamin D levels before they started the supplement. So vitamin D does tend to help. And there's also potential benefits if you are deficient in supplementing magnesium, iron, vitamin B12, and selenium. There used to be this idea that iodine can actually be helpful in Hashimoto's um, because the iodine is very closely linked to thyroid function. But there's a lot of contradictory evidence out there of iodine supplementation. And actually, there's a lot of research that shows that it actually makes the Hashimoto's worse. So it's not really something that's recommended the autoimmune protocol diet. Another thing um, in that same study, Emily, that you mentioned with the the 18 women that did that 10-week trial, another big thing is that C-reactive protein, which is one of the main markers that we look at when looking at inflammation, there was no change in C-reactive protein either. So yes, these women reported that they felt better, but there was no change in inflammation and no change in thyroid function. Still, Still a benefit, like if you're feeling better, that's good. But is this something that you can now sustain? Or was this you were in a, you know, in a trial for 10 weeks, somebody was making your food for you. And now you have to go back into the real world. Like, is this something that is worth attempting to apply to every single person that has Hashimoto's, when really, we kind of have evidence that shows that it's not really treating anything relative to the disease. And it's probably just making people feel better because they're eating better food. True. Yeah, that is a major downside of this diet is how hard it is. Mm -hmm. We literally just said, if you're deficient in these things, it might make it worse. Well, cutting out a bunch of foods is not going to help with deficiencies. 100%. Every single one of these seem to benefit from a Mediterranean diet. So honestly, if you want to start somewhere, I would recommend trying to implement some of the practices of a Mediterranean diet, which we have an entire episode on. That is actually seems to show improvements in symptom management. That is a diet that's not crazy restrictive. And you can make small changes over time to get closer to that. That's not like tomorrow you have to overhaul your diet. That would honestly probably be where I would tell people to start because we do have evidence that shows that the same benefits that people are finding in these small trials with the autoimmune protocol they're also finding on the Mediterranean diet, but the Mediterranean diet is something that you can slowly ease into, make small changes one at a time. You know, it's like easier to implement into your life over time versus just like tomorrow now all of a sudden you can't eat half the foods out there. Yeah, it's frustrating and I wish I had a better alternative for you guys. Yeah, yeah, no, but it's a truthful alternative, right? Like we're not, we're never going to stand behind something unless there's solid research showing that it's helpful. Mm -hmm. So does the autoimmune protocol diet get the BS stamp? Um, yes, because I think the whole premise is wrong. Yeah, I agree. There's evidence that 
I mean, in small sample sizes that it can help, but I don't think it's the protocol that's helping. I think it's just, you're putting people on a healthy, not sustainable, but a for 10 weeks, healthy, unprocessed diet. And I think that you can achieve the same results on something like a Mediterranean diet or just generally eating healthfully, eating in a my plate, eating foods that are minimally processed to the best of your abilities in a way that's sustainable for you without having to cut out all of the foods. Yeah, totally. I I agree. I think it's, be, you know, the whole idea of the autoimmune protocol diet curing your disease or making all of your symptoms go away, like that is BS. Mm-hmm. And it's also BS, like you said, that that is your only choice. Yeah, I mean, if you want to, if you're in this situation, you have an autoimmune disease and you want to try it, like, we're not stopping you. That's totally, totally your option. But just know that it's not the only option. Mm -hmm. I like your recommendation of the Mediterranean diet because it does focus more on have more of these different types of foods and have less of these. And it's just a little more balanced. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have a BSPS for you all today. It is another listener submission. We are doing a little deep dive into tart cherry juice. This is something I was introduced to when I got into the sports nutrition world from undergrad into grad school and my internship at Ohio State, where I met Marie, and started working with athletes. And that's where I first started seeing the little bottles of cherry juice at post-workout and after practices and after games. For once, this is something that has a ton of research behind it. So no BS stamp here. But basically, to explain what it is, we're not just talking about any cherry juice that you find at the store. It's probably mixed with apple juice and grape juice and is made from whatever kind of cherries. This specific cherry juice has to be from tart cherries which is also, they're also known as sour cherries, dwarf cherries, or Montmorency cherries. Why people recommend tart cherry juice? It is full of antioxidants. It helps decrease muscle soreness and may help with sleep because there's actually some naturally occurring melatonin in tart cherry juice. So I will explain how I've seen it used in the past. Marie, I don't know if you still use this. We'll get into that. But Mm -hmm. um, typically what it would be is after, like when I I worked at University of Illinois for a time and I worked with the women's soccer team. And after every game, every athlete who played at least a half, we would give them eight ounces of tart cherry juice, typically post-workout or post-game. And yeah, it helps decrease muscle soreness. There's also kinds that are mixed with some protein as well. Like Cherubundi is one that I know of. They sell just the plain tart cherry juice and they sell it mixed with protein. So that's like the two things you want to get after a game or after a workout to help you recover. So Marie, is this something you still recommend for the people you work with? Definitely. I use them more from a sleep capacity or if somebody's going into a situation where they're not going to have very good fruit and vegetable access. So Mm. deployment or multi-day field training, stuff like that. One thing I do want to point out, and you know me, I got to like spoil the party. (laughs) (laughs) Like this stuff's the best. Go 
try it. No, no, no. I, I do use it. And, and honestly, if somebody's like dealing with a lot of soreness or they're having trouble with generalized inflammation or something like that, it's, a, it's something to say, hey, this is full of antioxidants. If you're not really a big fruit person, like it might be something good to add. But from the soreness perspective, okay, I actually did like a super deep dive into this literature a couple years ago. So if I have missed some emerging research, someone please tell me. But it is def- it can definitely reduce soreness when you are in a multi-day competition if you take it between each day. So like I was a swimmer. So we would have three-day swim meets where you would swim every day or you would compete every day. So like track would be another sport that would be something like this. People who did their event, took tart cherry, and then showed up the next day to compete were less sore than people that didn't take the tart cherry. The reason that it would be good for like a multi-day event or a sport where maybe like you have to compete every couple of days, uh, like soccer, where you have to play a really hard game every couple of days, it will actually reduce inflammation, which is going to reduce some blood flow. I think that it's being misused in a lot of like collegiate and professional settings when we're teaching people, we have like two seconds of attention from the athletes, right? So we're like, tart cherry <laughs> juice, reduce soreness or whatever, which is true, but it's actually not a good thing to have during like a preseason or when you're actually trying to go through that adaptation and build stage because you actually want inflammation because you want your body to be able to bring proteins and what's needed to the muscles that are sore to actually build them up. If you keep reducing inflammation, reducing inflammation, reducing inflammation, it actually can hinder some of that adaptation. So it's really good when you're trying to perform your best, you're at the end of the season, but when you're in your preseason, when you're trying to get stronger, when you're doing all the behind the scenes work, it's actually not the best thing to have all the time. So that is my one little caveat with tart cherry. Yeah, that's how I use it. And I do still use it and I do believe in it, but I do think there are times as a true seasonal athlete that you should and shouldn't take it. That's that's a really good point. It's good to look at these things critically and not just be like, like everyone else that we talk about on this podcast who's like, this is going to change your life. Yeah. Have this for the re- every day for the rest of your life. So I mentioned Cherubundi. What are some other reputable places to get tart cherry juice? Yeah. So there's a company called Cherish, very similar to uh, Cherry Bundy. But honestly, you can just get it at the grocery store. Yeah. We used to do this with the Cubs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'd make our own little cherry shots. Yeah, you can just so I mean, don't get cherry, like regular cherry juice, because like Emily said, it's not the same thing. But if it says 100% tart cherry juice, that's, that's exactly what we're talking about. They also sell it in concentrate. So cut it half and half with water, or you're going to be drinking like straight syrup, and it's going to be gross. But it's usually cheaper if you get the concentrate. But if you want like the little individual bottles, Cherry Bundy and Cherish are the two that I know of that sell those. Thank you to all of our listeners who submitted these great topics today. And thank you for being a listener. We'd love to hear from you. If you have questions, comments, more suggestions on topics, you know how to get a hold of us, our website or our Instagram. And thank you for listening to our 99th episode. Definitely tune in next week for the 100th. It's going to be fun. And we have some fun, new, exciting stuff to share. But until next time, I'm Emily. And I'm Marie. And don't let the BS get the best of you.